And we're back. Another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day as we uh, roll into December. Professional golf starting to wind down here a little bit, although we've got a little bit more golf on the on the table. The uh, the Women's United States Open Championship is this week. Very excited for that. And as I've been telling you, a little college showcase, put it on your calendar. Uh, it's not this week. It's next week. I was part of the telecast there. We got the top four collegiate players. I should say four of the top collegiate players there, including Austin Eckroke, who played very well uh, at the Mayakoba Classic. I believe he was in the top 15. He was there along with three others, four celebrities. going to be a fun event. You'll see it on Golf Channel December 16th at 7 p.m. And uh, Mayakoba just finishing up. Victor Hovland gets his second win on the PGA Tour, dropping the putt on the final hole uh, to win the title. And a guy that, uh, well, he's out there on tour. He works with so many of these players. He likes to kind of ride under the radar. And every once in a while, I just like to pull him out and put him center stage and say, look at this guy. He's one of the best in the business. And he joins me here today on the podcast from Rochester, John Graham. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate you pulling me out from under my rock. <laughs> well, I know how good you are and I know how, and I know how hard you work um, out there with these players. You've got a lot of students right now, my man, on the PGA Tour. Give us, uh, give us a list of these names. Uh, so there's uh, there's Danny Willett, there's Graham McDowell, there's Charles Howell, Cameron Champ, Hank Lebiota, Joseph Bramlett, Bud Cauley, and uh, Justin Thomas is the latest one. Wow, Justin Thomas. Now he's probably um, he, he's one of the newer additions um, to yeah. your stable, as I know. T12 at Mayakoba didn't hit it great there on Sunday had the the round he went really low I think he shot eight or nine under on on Saturday but uh, I gotta ask you I want to start there working um, with JT I was looking at stats right now 2021 strokes and putting he's he's 37th he's works with his dad Mike Thomas of course who's kind of his main coach but he seeks advice um, in particularly with the flat stick when he came to you John what was the the primary goal uh, the primary goal, according to Justin, was to have a better and clearer understanding of when it's not good, why isn't it good? Um, his good days were good, his great days were great, and his bad days were awful. And uh, he was just looking more for not necessarily like how to do things better, more for just like clarity as to so that when he got done with a round, he could go work on something and feel like he was addressing an actual problem instead of just like, I don't know why I didn't make him today. I'll hopefully I'll make him tomorrow. So it was more for clarity and understanding than anything else. What was your analysis? If you could share with us some of the cliff notes as you kind of looked at it. I mean, you know, to me, when I look at Justin Thomas, I'll give you my view from 10,000 feet. Then you can correct me and tell me if I'm right or wrong and then give us the real, but uh, you know, JT to me, Really fast greens can struggle from time to time. And in addition to that, seems to be better when it comes to bent POA. Not as good on Bermuda, right or wrong? Um, mostly right. Uh, I would say, so if we look at the cliff notes and then relate it to what you had just said, that his, uh, his distance control wasn't um, precise enough for the length of putts that he tends to have a lot. So when Justin's hitting it well, he hits it, you know, 
inside of 20 feet a lot, inside of 15 feet a lot. And he has a lot of those opportunities to make, to make birdie. And it's not that he's like three putting from 30 feet or 40 feet or whatever. So like the, he never really addressed the fact that he thought that his speed was off because he never really had difficulty getting the ball near the hole. But in that range where he needs to make them to actually shoot the scores he wants to shoot and win, um, he would have a difficult time hitting it uh, within a foot of where he was trying. So he would tendedly, uh be a little bit on the softer side, and he would miss a lot of putts because they're just low and short. And um, he didn't really know necessarily how to address that and even really look at it through that lens. It's just like, well, that didn't go in. You know, am I reading it wrong? Am I just not hitting it online? Or or what is it? So, like, when we did the original assessment, and this was in May, um, his distance control was the main thing that stood out that could uh, improve without being invasive. So that's where we started. Um, was giving him some drills to work on to, uh, to paint a clearer picture in terms of what his actual intent was for the speed the ball would go and the distance it would travel. Uh, so that he could uh, deliver that better on the golf course. Uh, Justin's very much a field player, uh, but uh, almost to the point, at least when it came to his putting, that he he didn't have, uh, uh, maybe the best way to say it would be a, a way to categorize those feels, so that mm-hmm. when he has this 15-footer that's a little uphill or a little downhill, it's not just look at it and be like, well, I'll just respond, which is kind of what he would do, but his response wouldn't be what he wanted. So it was just trying to give him a way to say, okay, well, when when I have this length and I have this type of putt, my intent is clearer in advance. It's like I think I'm going to need this stroke or this speed or this um, uh, amount of force to make the ball go the far the distance that I want it to go, so that he could just go up there and then just deliver that instead of trying to continually figure it out kind of over the ball. So uh, to your point, now uh, when the greens would get really, really slow, he would, he would really struggle because his field just didn't have a category for, okay, this 12 footer now is so much more hard in terms of hitting it than it was before. Um, and again, to your other point, when he gets on things that are really, really fast, his ability to differentiate between hitting at 10 feet or 10 and a half feet or 11 feet wasn't clear enough so that he couldn't get the exact distance that he needed on greens that are so fast where the margins are so small. So it was working into that place, um, which was, was the first thing that we started through. Mm-hmm. So being able to quantify the difference, right? And as you said, I think the word categorize yeah. what he's doing on different surfaces, different speeds to help him quantify what was right and what was wrong. That would be accurate? Yeah, exactly. So okay. like each event that we would go to, we would have like some calibration time that we would use in our preparation for that course for that week that would change depending on whichever course we were at trying to figure out, okay, where, where does this range of fields fit in this week based on these slopes and these speeds and this type of grass so that he has some kind of baseline to work from. You know, you ask any good player, like, do you know what swing makes the ball go 60 yards? And they know, yes, it's this one. Now they might not know exactly how far it goes or anything like that, but they have a clear picture of what, intent they need to make the ball go a certain distance. If you ask a lot of good players, do you know what stroke makes the ball go 10 feet? Uh, I'm not really sure. They don't have as clear of a picture. So part of our job was 
in preparation for each week of the event was to, to generate what that idea was. Okay, when we get here, a 10-footer is going to feel like this, a 15-footer is going to feel like this, so then he could scale it and, and figure out how to better adapt and assess the environment and then hit it the actual distance that he wanted to hit it. That's, that's a great analogy because, like, from 60 yards, 80 yards, 100 yards, right? Like, we're – whether it's the wedge system or the, or the clock system and – rate of turn and, and all these things that dial in the distance. And then to your point, well, how do you quantify that from 10 feet? And like you said, the picture is not as clear. So that's, that's fascinating. And I think a good analogy of what JT right now is probably going to, as he gets to these different surfaces and really fast greens or really slow greens, how did you guys assess as a team U S open? He was eighth strokes hand putting just under positive five. Zozo, he was positive five. The Masters, he finished fourth. I don't have a strokes gain putting there, but I would imagine he's, decent. He's plus three that way. Yeah, plus plus three. three. Yeah. And then it looks like this week, he's probably right around zero. So yeah. how would you assess the, the progress to this point? Um, it, it's, been, it's been really good. The, the things that his dad has mentioned, so obviously I'm coming into this fairly new, and I don't have the history um, that his father would have. Uh, and the things that his father have pointed out are, are along the lines of, you know, he still misses, you know, a bunch. And that like when he has a week where he makes a lot, he's just going to win by like 10. Yeah. But the progress isn't, is more that he's just making more. Like he might have, you know, 10 putts inside of 20 feet for the day. And normally he would make uh, three and now he's making five. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 uh, over the course of a round, they, they, they add up in terms of momentum and, um, uh, and comfort level and anxiety and control and that kind of stuff. And uh, the other thing is father's mentioned that like, the I think it was the first round at Zozo, the first nine he played like even par, missed everything the whole nine. And then the back nine, he shot like six or seven under, made everything. <laughs> and, he's, and his dad's like, he's never been able to do that before where he could start out struggling and then turn it around and actually start to make some hmm. where he would say he would do that in his golf swing where he would start out and like kind of hit it bad and make a couple little adjustments and then be able to kind of rewrite the ship and then go ahead. He's never had that with his putting that he didn't have enough things that he could go to and assess and say, okay, well it might be this and this and this, and then make some kind of mini adjustment on the fly and then change the outcomes right away. Um, so those are the kinds of things that his dad is saying in terms of these, this is what I'm seeing that's different so that he can, make an adjustment and improve. And he's just making, he's just making more. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if he makes more, like you said, if he's going to finish uh positive five and strokes hand putting, look out because we know yeah. Justin Thomas is going to gobble you up when it comes to strokes gain approach, strokes gain right. T to green. I mean, he is one of the best in the business. So that's going to be exciting to watch as we roll into uh, next year. I want to ask you about aim point. You were one of the first guys that, adopted aimpoint technology with Mark Sweeney. Yeah. Um, this system that, you know, using your feet, calibrating um, with your fingers. And, and we saw Victor Hovland doing it. You know, Victor, yeah. um, I think pretty official now, uh, is working with Jeff Smith, good coach out of TBC Las Vegas. Jeff, big proponent of aimpoint. And this is the most I've seen Victor using aimpoint. Clearly, um, things um, have worked for him as he's similar to JT and the type of player who is a wonderful ball striker, 
struggles a little bit, notably with his wedges. Um, and then, you know, if he can, if he can get it done around and on the greens, he's another guy that can, that can chew you up because um, he's that good of a ball striker. What have you, what have you seen with the growth or lack of growth of aim point? Because I bring it up. There's Victor with his fingers up every single putt. Are the guys, is it the majority of them are using some of it or is it still kind of like, eh, it's there. I might, you know, what percentage, give us a feel on tour, how Aimpoint is doing. Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say that I would say at least half of the guys have looked into it and they, and they may be using some idea that they pulled out from part of it. Now Aimpoint's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I got involved t- 12 years ago and a lot of the things that I'm using are, are not, the same things that are being taught today. They're still valuable, but there's, they're just a different um, set of information that when it started with, it was very, very technical. It was like a chart. You had to do math yep. and a whole bunch of other stuff. Nowadays, it's significantly more easy to use. Um, so depending on the type of player, some players kind of lean in one direction, want a little bit more this way. Some players want a little bit more that way. Um, a guy like Justin doesn't want any of it. He's more of a feel guy. And the thing that is, is interesting is the, the stuff that he has learned, I would call aim point things, but no one knowing would think that he's doing any kind of aim point stuff. So like, you know, we've talked about, you know, different types of green shapes. Okay. Because the green looks like this, the ball's going to do this, this, and that, uh, this putt's going to do this because of this, this one's going to do this because of that, which is things that I learned from Mark and from the software and from the TV information and all the stuff that we did as, as a group of instructors kind of learning this piece but nobody would recognize it as Aimpoint teaching. There's so much more to what Aimpoint can offer for someone that's done it a long time like I have than just stand and put up your fingers. Now, standing and put up your fingers is an awesome way to do it as well, as you see from the success Victor's having doing it and a lot of other players doing it, Adam Scott and so on and so forth. Um, And I think depending on who presents it to the player and what kind of personality the player is, has a strong correlation between how much and what of it they adopt versus how much and what of it they like completely deflected the spell. It's like, I don't want to do that just because of it doesn't fit my idea of right. what golf should be. And other players are like, well, if this is going to make me better, I, w- I want to hear what this can do. And then I'll take little pieces that I like and, and go from there. So there's, there's a lot of different ways it can be um, shown and expressed and, you know, as, as a coach, figuring out, okay, what do I think my player can uh, digest and use and, and, and benefit from is, you know, one of the skills of coaching with anything that we're doing. It's like, oh, do I tell them this or do I hold off for that and tell them something else? Or what words do I use and when do I say it? You know, Aimpoint just fits into that mold just like any other piece of instructional info is figuring out, okay, figure out my person first. Okay, what, what can this person handle or not? What do they want to handle? What do I know will help, even though they don't want to do it? Like, how how do I work all these things together and figure out? Okay, I'm going to try this. Um, so I think I think I mean everybody that I work with has gotten some bits of aim point from me, whether they know it or not. They may not have thought of it as aim point, but there's just so much information involved in it that is beneficial. As a putting coach, you have to know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as a as a player, some people need it. Some people don't it's it's completely personal but i think a lot of guys have looked into it because it, it they can see guys get better that are doing it. yeah yeah there's some that it seems they they 
it's part of the read, right? And right. then others, it's the entire read. Um, right. So when a player is straddling the line, like we see, yeah. Yeah. and they're primarily feeling through their feet, slope direction, but also the severity of the slope. Now, in my experience right. from teaching Aimpoint, and I got into it early with the books and all that as well with Mark, I can remember he came up and certified us at TPC Sawgrass, and it was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you look at slope direction, Aimpoint, using your feet, in my experiences, is helpful when it looks straight, you yeah. know? And to use your feet to kind of sense a little bit where the subtleties are uh, has been helpful. Now, the obvious slopes are more apparent. Like, yeah, I mean, right. you can see this big old mound on the right-hand side <laughs> breaking right to left. I mean, duh. You know, right. but it's it's the severity. It's the it's the um, the subtleties when it looks straight where it helps. It tends to help. And then I think the second, and I want to tee up on this, where it seems to really help people is the severity of the slope, how much, right? Is it 1%, 2%, 3%? And what does that mean to the amount of break? Uh, and of course, there's other factors, but just focusing in on those two, do you, is that what you found in kind of finding slope direction and also severity of slope? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the uh, uh, the guys that I'm dealing with, a good chunk of them are, are also using a green book to try to help with some of that info. And... Uh, the truth is, is that when the when the pin location is in a place that's very subtle, if you look at a topography map of that area, it's going to be blank, because the photography map is going to show changes in elevation. And when there isn't much, they end up looking at a piece of paper that's got nothing on it. So the book now becomes very, very uh, not useful. They, they can't they can't judge anything with it because there's nothing there. So now they they need some other way aside from their eyes. I still think eyes is a great way to do it, to try to generate an idea of okay, what is, what is this, the true direction of the slope that I'm dealing with. Um, and even just being able to sense, okay, well, I, it looks like it's going to go a little left. And then when I go stand there, okay, I can definitely feel it's going left. Okay. Now I know for sure. Yeah. And, they, they, and even if that's not correct, just the idea of going into a putt, knowing that I'm about to do this and I believe it's correct. Uh, they'll make a better stroke. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in my opinion, un uncertainty of the read and the speed and the environment is actually a piece of the stroke. Some guys will just make a different stroke when they just don't know what they're dealing with versus when they think they know what they're dealing with. So just having that belief that, you know, I've done this process, it matches what I see and what I feel. Okay, now I can just go and I can put my best stroke on it is incredibly valuable to somebody out here where a shot a week is the difference between keeping your card and, and losing it. Um, the, the severity piece, <laughs> you know, you've seen it throughout the years. It's, it's very difficult to convince a lot of people how much the ball really moves. It moves <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, a good, a good chunk of that happens before we ever turn our heads up to see where the ball has gone. So we don't actually see some of that stuff happening. And, uh, uh once you get an idea as to what is really going on and how much break you really have to play, uh, for some guys, that's really liberating. You know that I don't, you know, to to be able to know that I can actually hit a way out here and still be okay, uh, is is a really mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a safety net for some guys because they're they're they don't want the ball to get away from the hole. And here I am telling them to hit it farther away from the hole. Um, that's a that's a very unnerving thing for a skilled player and an amateur. It's like yeah. nobody wants to hit the ball away from the hole. They're, the whole goal of the game is to get the ball toward the hole. 
and then somebody comes along and says, well, you need to actually hit it farther away to get it closer. Eh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But until they start to see it and be like, oh, oh gosh, that actually is what I need, um, the discomfort of aiming away from the hole goes away, and they actually hit it a lot closer and, and more often. And we know that the, the, the faster greens, which is another element of aim point, is, yeah. you know, the ball is going to break more. So, and so much of that goes back to what you said in the calibration in how these guys and what, and I think what people don't realize when in the question I get, when Victor is standing there in my and he's putting these fingers up and he's got two or he's got three or he's got one, um, you know, not to give away the goods of aim point here, but you know, it's like, well, how does he, how, how does he know how far to put his arm away from his eyes? Well, that's something they calibrate to the speed of the green. And because when you, when you put your fingers closer to you, it's going to say play more break. And then when you push it away, it's going to, it's going to say play less break. So these are all things that they're calibrating ahead of time to the speed of the green, which is really fascinating and something that's helped me a ton. And what I have found, John, and I'd love to get something here that I want you to gear toward the amateur player as we segue here a little bit to some winter golf indoors and, um, putting indoors, which is something that I've done way more in the last two years than I've done my whole life, which probably explains why I was such an awful putter when I was in college. But, you know, you, you look at, I, I find myself, John, telling students to stretch the break more downhill, to stretch the break more in fast greens uphill. I find, you know, they're better than they are downhill, but we are vastly underplaying the quicker putts in particularly downhill. What else are you telling? Do you find yourself amateurs more times than not? Um, uh, along those lines, and I agree hundred percent with what you said is I want to see my amateurs try to figure out where the maximum break barrier is. Um, so t- to get them comfortable with the idea that, okay, if I hit this with the slowest possible speed where the ball can still go in, how much break is the most amount of break where a ball can still be made uh, and get them comfortable figuring out where that location is. Um, so I actually have a drill where I'll, uh, I'll ask players to purposely miss uh, on the high side of the hole or even just try to lip out mm. with their normal speed. Where they, you know, Don't try to hit it any harder and miss high. That's easy. Try to give it your normal pace and see if you can just kind of lip out the hole on the high side and actually play too much break. Um, and it's very interesting to watch them struggle with that, um, to purposely try to miss high and not be able to do it. Uh, when you have putts that are downhill or across hill with a good amount of slope and to, to get them more comfortable with how much room is really, really out there. Because um, at the end of the day, the closer you can choose your read to where that barrier is, the more likely you have to make it if your speed's good. Mm-hmm. And, if it's, and if you don't make it, you're going to be closer to the hole for your tapping. So, uh, it's, it's about, for me, it's for the club player, it's about expanding their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's going to choose a foot out if they've never played a foot out before and, and see that a foot out still misses low. Um, so they've got to get more and more comfortable with stretching out the break, as you say, especially on downhillers and, uh, and big slopers. I, I used to work with, um, Len Matisse years ago, who's just a wonderful putter. I mean, the guy is exceptional putter and. He showed me a drill one time that he does and he calls it, uh, he calls it the, the nines and he plays a front nine and a back nine on the putting green and the front nine are all putts that are right to left and the back nine are all putts that are left to right. And he'll find a pretty good slope 
and he'll hit, he'll basically, you know, go like eight feet, you know, 10 feet, 12 feet, 14 feet, six, you know, he'll just kind of, he'll, he'll, he'll ladder it out like nine different putts and he'll hit the putts and they either go in or they miss just on the top side and he's got to complete all nine in a row. And if he misses on the low side at all, he starts over. Uh, You want to talk about a tough drill. I mean, and I've seen him complete it. It's, it's amazing. Um, And, and the whole purpose to your point is just stretch the break, right? Get on the high side. Okay. It tumbles in on the high side or it just misses on the high side. Right. The, 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 the other benefit to that, that I find, and this this is especially true with the club player is when a putt starts, we'll say too high, even as you watch it rolling, there's this anticipation of hope that it could still work out. Right. right? Like, so they're, they're watching the ball roll and it's okay, well, it's moving toward the hole. So it could work, could work, could work. And then right at the end, they figure out either it does or it doesn't. Where if they hit one that starts too low, it misses low of the hole, like two thirds of the way there. And they're immediately pissed off right off the bat. <laughs> all, all the hope is gone. And they're like, oh, it's got no chance. Yeah. And and that slight little change in temperament throughout the day can make going to the next tee that much easier to to hit a good drive when you hit a putt that he's like, you know, that had a really good chance to go in the whole time instead of the one that missed low early. And now you're like, oh, now what do I do? Yeah, right. It's a bad feeling. Left or right. Yeah. You hit it and you start walking. It's like push and go, right? Yeah. You push, you start start walking as soon as you hit it. I mean, it's like I have got that walk down pat. I mean, it's it's just, uh, it's a, it is, it's such, this is such a good conversation. I think just about the concept of break and aim point and reading and using your feet and quantifying factors. And we saw Victor Hovland do it in winning the Mayakoba and, and, and you're taking bits and pieces and, you know, amateur golfers, this is something that they can apply as well. I mean, this is something that everybody can do uh, and learn from. I, I want to get into your philosophy a little bit. I've learned a lot from you with um, your videos uh, and the time that, uh, that I've been watching them and the time that we've shared just talking, but we are into the winter months now. And one thing people can do in the winter is putt. They can putt at home, whether they do it on their carpet or they can just get a little, you know, a little runway of putting green. There's a lot of options. When you get into your philosophy, John, just not to get too deep into the woods, but, you know, talk about, the order of things for you? Like, is it face, path, green reading? How do you start putting things in order to start diagnosing, you know, what someone can do in hitting putts at home? Now, albeit it's going to be a pretty straight putt, right? but how do you, how do you start putting things in order for them to consider? Let's take a second to talk about the guys and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs, use of high-density particles, and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls. They are transforming the game for players of all skill levels. Visit EncoreGolf.com slash Travis Fulton 
for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. Uh, and again, we're talking specifically at home. Uh, speed is going to be first. Can I stop the ball where I want to stop it? Um, and then uh, since you're dealing with a lot of straight putts, the green reading piece isn't going to be that right. uh, workable. That would be what I would do. That would be my next important thing. And then stroke would be uh, the, the third. Um, so if, if you're working at home, you know, obviously the stroke stuff is the easier stuff to get the feedback from. You can have some kind of match or some kind of start line station, some kind of constraints based event where you're, okay, I've got to get the club through here. I've got to get the ball through there. Can I make those things happen? And I can check them. And if I can do that part, well, that's pretty much all I can do with my stroke. Um, certainly in that case, face is playing the predominant role in terms of the start direction. So being able to launch the ball where I need to launch it is going to be mainly a face control event. Um, not to say the path isn't important because it is, but if you're working indoors during the wintertime, you need to have some kind of arrangement that monitors, okay, my stroke's doing this, the ball's going here. Are those doing what I need them to do? That's just time and doing it. Um, the speed part, uh, I would actually purposely practice trying to make the ball stop where you want. You can put down a coin, you can put down a ball marker, you can mark it with a marker and see how well you can control the actual total distance the ball rolls. That's really what the skill is. Um, green reading is then putting the hole in the way. Um, but if you can't hit it the speed you're trying to hit it, the green reading piece becomes that much more difficult. So if you've got, when you get back outside and you're trying to make this 10 footer and one time you hit it 10 feet, next time you hit it 12 feet, then you hit it 11 feet. Even if you've got the exact same putt that you're practicing, you've now seen three completely different curves mm -hmm. and your ability to then take the one that you need when you need it, when you go play becomes that much more difficult because you didn't hit three putts at the same distance or at least close to that. So work on, can I make the ball stop where I want to stop it? Let me, let me talk about speed for a second and controlling speed, right? So this winter, people are listening. They're going to be like, all right, I got a mat. I got a 12-foot runway here. I'm going to, you know, sometimes you've got the color codes and all that or whatever. You just put a coin down, and I'm just going to start hitting putts to there. You know, the framework of the stroke, I want you to talk about how far back versus how far through. I find myself... And every student's a little bit different. But I, I, I think from an error standpoint, when people struggle with speed, I, I find a lot where the through stroke gets so long and exaggerated and so much longer than the backstroke that I find that, you know, that tends to err and get people moving the, right, the wrong way when it comes to distance control. So oftentimes... I'll stretch out the backstroke a little bit and, and even get the pace of the putter head moving a, a, a bit more on the brisk side yeah. and then shorten up the finish. So it's almost like they're like, well, now it feels like it's a two to one ratio with the putter head moving quicker going back. I find myself giving that instruction more than the other way around than like a one to two. Right. And sometimes people err the other way as well. But I find myself kind of gravitating to this slightly longer backstroke with a little more pace to a little more abbreviated finish, a la Spieth um, and Tiger. You know, like that's where I tend to get more. What, what, do, what do you find with stroke length back and through? 
That's exactly correct. That's that's the arrangement that you have to have. Now, some guys will, will put the brakes on in different amounts, so they'll be either shorter or whatever on, on the forward side. But the, the the listeners need to have a clear understanding of what the goal is. So if, if if the goal is to make the ball go the distance you want it to go, you've got to control how fast the putter head is moving. That's the main contributor to how far the ball goes, mm-hmm. aside from the contact on the face. In that arrangement, if I'm taking the putter back slow or in short, and I'm making this large follow-through that's got a, a little extra speed on, the speed the putter head is changing near the ball is very, very rapid. So it's very difficult to get the exact speed that I want at the time when the putter and the ball run into each other. So when you said to make the putter go a little bit longer and a little bit faster, that's exactly correct. Because then now as the putter is now approaching the ball, it's doing more coasting, where yeah. the speed of the putter head isn't changing so much. So you can better feel what you've actually accomplished related to what you actually saw and then actually learn from it and adjust as time goes on. Uh, you're, you're, you really want the putter to be more consistent near where the ball is instead of rapidly changing both in terms of direction and speed. You're 100% correct. And that's a, you know, that, that, there's some sticker shock to that for, you know, for players. I mean, if I, if I was standing in front of 100 people and I said, look, do you want your stroke to be more one to two or two to one, I bet you three quarters of them would say one to two. 100%. Yes. Everybody yeah. thinks they're, ex- they should be accelerating the putter. Uh, and, and again, to your sticker shock point, most people would probably be surprised to know that the players that control the distance the best, the putter is actually slowing down when it hits the ball. They're deselling. There were two points in my golf channel career where I kind of got blown up. <laughs> One of them was when I said your spine needs to extend back into post-impact. You don't stay down. And you can imagine, like, wait a minute. You don't stay, you know, no, you stay down. No, you don't. Your spine extends back. So that was one. The second was when Spieth was on his rampage and making everything from 30 feet, right? Yeah. Spieth, to me, is a brilliant two-to-one. I love the word you said, coasting of the putter head. I, I use, I'll use cruise control, you know, like yeah. the, the putter head's just, just cruise control through the strike. I mean, I just absolutely love to watch him putt. Um, and so I said, look, you know, when you look at, and I, and I did a breakdown of Spieth's putterhead, I said, this is, this is where I see putting. And I'm not saying this is what everybody does, but I'm just saying that this is kind of the, where I kind of tend to move towards and put my hat on is that, you know, a little brisk back, longer back, shorter through. And yeah. you can imagine the majority, like, no, it's, it's, it's one back, two through. It's like, well, you know, that's. There's some that are like that, but I think the majority in where things are going, you look at speed as an example, is two to one. And then the next day, okay, and I know you know this woman that I'm going to say, shows up at Golf Channel, and I've got an interview, and her name's Lydia Ko. And Lydia Ko takes it back short and longer through, and she's one to two, and at the time, I think was number one in putting on the LPGA Tour, <laughs> and Oh man, I mean, I just did this big dissertation on two to one ratio and Spieth. And the next morning, here's Lydia. I said, Lydia, tell me about your stroke. She says, Well, I like to take it back, you know, you know, like maybe on this length putt, four inches and through eight. And it was just like silence and cricket. I told you. So there's always the other way, right? I mean, there's 
there's no one way to do this. There are one to twos. There are one to ones. But generally speaking, I loved how you sum that up and trying to give people actual takeaways here, right? Who are listening right. to this. You're right. practicing at home, generally speaking, a little longer back with some pace, a little shorter through. If it's not exactly two to one, that's fine. But you'll be surprised how that putter head starts maintaining a consistent pace. That's good feedback to the brain. Your distance control gets better. 100%. Right. I mean, the, the assumption that we're starting with to the listeners out there is that you're struggling with this. You know, if, if you're a, if you have good distance control and you're one to two, go at it, have fun and keep going. Right. If you're, if you're struggling and you're one to two, uh, that might be the reason why you're struggling. Uh, and, and, and to figure out, you know, there's actually a, a, a more common solution. Actually, there's, there's a lot more two to oneers out there. <laughs> there are one to twoers that are, that are controlling the distance. Well, um, so the, you know, the, the odds would say that this way is going to give you a better chance to improve than the other way. So we've talked about speed. We've talked about greens reading and there's one left. You said stroke, right? And let's talk about the stroke for a second and how the putter head we know moves in a straight line, right, John? Or is it on an arc? It's on an arc. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's on, <laughs> it's on an arc. I was kidding. Yeah. Um, and as it moves on an arc, there's things that, that we're doing at address that can influence that arc one way or the other. Yes. Um, yeah. One of the things that I find myself moving towards is the positioning of the trail hand and the trail elbow. And I find that a lot of people get dominant. They get the right arm on top, very high, mm -hmm. right forearm sits, you know, on a steeper angle than that of the putter shaft. And that can influence the putter head to start tracking too far out. Yes. You know, so getting them to get the right hand underneath, soften the right elbow, get the forearm more in line with putter shaft. You like that or no? Yeah. So um, most golfers are trying to do whatever they can do to make the ball go where they want, whether it's putting, chipping full speed, it doesn't matter what it is. They know what they kind of want the ball to do, and they're going to do whatever they can to make that happen. And when it doesn't do that, they make some adjustments to make that occur. Um, majority, vast majority of players that I have ever seen when it comes to putting, whether they're left-handed or right-handed, they tend to hit a push. So this right arm kind of high, right arm kind of dominant, kind of take the putter out, I think is an attempt for them to solve the fact that the face is coming in way to the right, so they try to make the swing go way to the left, just like they do with their golf swing. Um, now, certainly the right arm should be lower, and, and all of the things that you mentioned, as a, uh, as a baseline of starting this, like, oh, this is going to help the path go more straight, and as long as we can make the face do what it needs to do as well, the ball will roll significantly better than the other way. Mm -hmm. uh, the trick is always based on, well, what is the ball actually doing? You know, is somebody, we've got this high right arm, and is the ball starting uh, straight? Well, they, they, for me, that usually gets to stay until it stops happening. Right. If uh, if it's starting, you know, either left or right, then okay, well, now we've got to make this adjustment. Uh, and, and usually, like in the golf swing, most things have to come in, in pairs. Mm -hmm. So if, if somebody's doing this high right arm thing, they probably are swinging it way left, the face is way right. All right, so now we've got to get the path more to the right and the face more to the left. We end up having to change two things instead of one to actually get the ball going where we want. Same in all other parts of the game. It's, it's usually more than one thing going on, and we have to work 
in offsetting pairs to actually get the net positive result that we want. And this next question for you, understanding that everybody's different, and I think you make a great point. I mean, and thank you for this because it's you change one thing, there's usually something else has to change. There's it, it works in pairs, and it's no different in putting as well. Um, players, amateurs, amateurs stand too close or too far away, generally speaking, in putting. Ooh, gosh. Um, I would say they generally stand too close in my experience. Now, I have a very limited experience. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, gosh, I've got to think about that. Well, if they stand close, yeah. then where does the weight go? The weight kind of falls back, right? Right. Because they're yes. trying to get their eyes over the ball, so they stand real close. And they're like, well, I know I get my eyes over it. So now their weight falls back. Yeah. I, that's what I see. I see, I yeah. see more of that, John. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Th- there's very few people that get too far away. Right. Like noticeably too far away. Right. It's, it's definitely more kind of crouchy and scrunchy and try to get, you know, as close to it. So fewer things move and they're like, all of this is trying to get like right on top of the thing. Mm-hmm. is what I would say. Yeah, because if they got too far away, because they're trying to get their eyes over it, like that, they know that. Like they're trying to get their eyes relatively over it or just inside right. it. Um, right. So if they stand too far, then they're like, they're going to fall down over their toes. Right, right. You know, so the I, I find that I kind of back them up, get them a little more hip hinge, get the neck turned down a little bit. Eyes, yes. you like to see, you like to see that, that neck kind of turned down? More often than not, more people need it uh, turn down, then, then more up. Um, mm-hmm. it, it helps them see better. Um, and they, and they, and, and the getting away from the ball part, which I agree with you hundred percent is they need more space to be able to move and operate. Mm-hmm. They usually are in their own way too often. Why don't you think more people look at the hole when putting like speed? Uh, why don't they? Yeah. Um, gosh, my guess is because it's it's it can really help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of studies on it. I've tried it myself. I've done it on my kids when they were really young. Um, I, I think the reason that they don't do it is that they're consumed with making the ball start straight. Yeah. And I think more heads up putting is with the idea of making the ball go a certain distance or to a certain place. Just like shooting a basketball or shooting a ball to your buddy with a mitt, you're trying to make the ball go to a place where I think a lot of people in putting, they're consumed with trying to make the ball start correctly. Yeah. So they're focused in that area instead of where the ball is actually going to finish. I'm convinced that there are a percent of players that would putt better looking at the hole. Um, yeah. Not talking tour players here, just talking like, you know, Maybe tour players too. I mean, it's amazing to watch Speed do it. I mean, it's just amazing the guy puts it in play. It's crazy, right? I mean, it looks so bizarre, but it I it, I get it. You know, the other thing I've always thought about, and I want to ask you, remember Briny Baird? Yeah, sure. You know, so he put his lead foot forward. He was right hand. Put his left foot forward. Put his right foot back. And we use this as a yeah. drill where you yeah. kind of get people, you know, really stacked on their front foot with their trail foot back and their shoulders very level. And then you hit putts or chips, and you should be able to stay on that lead foot. So you don't back up. You don't take on too much right bend. Exactly. And that's such a common error. I'm like, well, why don't more people just putt like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, I I, I think a a part B to your original question was like the 
perceived judgment of others. <laughs> so they, they, they won't look at the hole because their buddies are going to mess with them. They won't put their foot back because their buddies are going to harass them again. I think part of it is just good old-fashioned peer pressure and perceived judgment of others. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, if you if you put your lead foot forward, right, like Briny Baird, and you should, yeah. for people who are listening, YouTube it, um, you can't stand too close, right? It's going to make you kind of bow forward to get over it, to get your, your balanced, your balance points. And then you should be able to hit a putt and stay on the lead foot. You shouldn't feel like you got to catch your balance with your trail foot. You should be able to stay on your front foot and you'll feel your left shoulder exit, you know, a little bit more back versus up. Exactly. And it's such a good feeling and letting the putter head release. Yes. And I know that that would help so many um, putt the ball better if they, if they did to that. And I want to, speaking of perception, I want to finish up our conversation and, and I want you to, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to you, whether it's a different type of grip or whatever, a component, and just give me, you know, a couple sentences of who it would apply to. Like, yeah, you know, that would help so and so kind of player. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Ready? Yep. All right. So lead hand low putting. Uh that would help someone who tends to hit poles. Love it. <laughs> Love it. You just you just explained my stroke like, oh man, I put it's anyway. All right, lead hand low. Those who tend to hit poles and they hit poles because of the breakdown in the lead wrist. Usually, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, the pencil, the pencil grip, which is different than the claw, right? The pencil kind of comes under and like you're holding the bottom of the grip like a pencil. Who who does that apply to? Um, that would, I think, again, help people who tend to hit poles, okay. uh, but for a different reason, um, from, in my experience, people that have had the best luck with pencils are actually opposite handed people playing mm-hmm. with opposite handed clubs. Oh, so they're, they're left-handed golfers playing with right-handed clubs. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Never even, that's where I've seen it was, that's where I've seen it to be the most, um, common in terms of yeah this feels like it's really easy because now i can just use my hand that i like to use that's interesting never even never even considered that how about the claw because the claw comes in from the other way right it's like right so that's a that's a that's a completely different elbow placement correct um a claw would help someone uh, i mean I, I think the claw would help someone who is is working more under a concept of a straighter stroke because um, it's going to have a little bit more of a kind of a Tom Watson, you kind of elbows out or an mm-hmm. Aaron Madley kind of idea um, to, to help monitor that. But again, it still helps, I think, with that lead wrist breakdown as well. I think both pencil and claw and lead hand low all kind of address a similar issue uh, of, of having less of that lead wrist breakdown and generally will help more pulls. Why sometimes – I know a couple players – when they open up like a Nicholas, Jack Nicholas, yeah. kind of side saddle it, they hit, they, they putt better. Yeah. Why, why, why don't we see more of that? Like Jack, I mean, he's one of the best putters of all time. Like the side saddle, I know a couple guys, man, great putters. They, t- when they try to go conventional square up, not as good. They go side saddle. Where, where, where would that fit in? Um, I, I think that's going to be more of a perceptual thing. Um, where 
for some people, it's going to be like actual eye dominance. Some for some okay. people, it's going to be um, the feeling that they have. It's going to sound strange, but the feeling that they have room to hit their stroke that's probably a little bit of a block, a little bit of a push, but now they've got room to make it happen. Mm. So they kind of set up a little open, set up a little left. It's like, oh, I can just kind of push this right down the line and not feel like I'm in my way. Um, so I, I would say it would help somebody that uh, is comfortable being like open and free. Uh, so like I was, uh, this is a, a little sidestep story. I was a, a bowler as a kid. And I used to I used to throw a huge hook, so I got used to balls rolling <laughs> on the ground and curving a lot. And as a, as a golfer, I was definitely more of a kind of a block putter. Uh, and similar to Jack, the more left I got, the more open that I got. Um, left to righters were actually the easiest ones for me because I could get as far left as I wanted. I could play as high of a line as I wanted, and then I could I could just push it right to the hole and never have a problem. Where most people who hit a push really struggle with left to right. And I think if they got a little bit more open and got comfortable that way, it would actually help them when they're left to riders. Nice. I like that. A couple more for you. I hit it low in the putter face all the time. That guy, that woman. Yeah, they're probably backing out of it a lot. Okay. They're probably right side bending a ton into the ball and they're, they're thinning it. Okay they just, to they keep their head more stable. Okay to for maybe a little more shaft lane? Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. Oftentimes that player will feel like they're hitting down a little more. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Even though they're not right. That's the perception. If you're catching it low on the face, get that a lot backing up, right? That right. Briny Baird action would be good. It would be very good for that person. Yep. A lot of toe strikes. Toe strikes is usually someone who is trying to make the putter go straight back and then they make like a more uh, pivoted turn going through instead of, so instead of being like a, a rocker up and downer, they're like a rock one way and then a turn the other way and they hit kind of like a little wipe. Um, so it's, it, it, they need to straighten out the forward stroke. The Briny Barrett thing would really help them. Yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. wouldn't be able to do something. See? The Briny Barrett will help a lot of people. I'm telling people you. There. Yeah. Like we could start something here. The I mean, Briny should be all over this. I'm, I'm telling you, man, like that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, the heel strike. Gosh, I don't see that one. Very you don't often. see it either. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really rare. <laughs> yeah. A lot of toes, right? A lot of, a lot of low. Toes. Yeah. A lot of roaming. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. the roaming, you would like, you get, you know, what? what's the... Like what's the what's would be a good go to like this winter, man? I'm all over the putter face. Like if you had to tell that person something, what would it be? It would be the tiger drill all day. They need they need something to frame the the, the heel and the toe to kind of get through as a gate for the putter head, mm -hmm. so that they're managing the strike across the face. Yep. Um, if they want to throw in a couple of coins for like the vertical piece, that has always helped. I've always tried either like two nickels on top of each other and try to just hit the top one. If you want to be super precise, I've done it with three dimes where you try to hit just the top dime. It's a little harder to do. But some way to manage the vertical part of the face and the horizontal part of the face. I think the tiger drill is the best thing. It's been that way forever. It'll yep. stay that way. Just some kind of toe and heel thing. Love it, my man. Um, I appreciate your time and um, wish you the best here this holiday season. You can um, find John Graham. He's on Twitter. He he. Like he shows up and camps out for a couple of days and then he disappears for a week on Twitter. It's uh, <laughs> at John Graham Golf, right? You're on Instagram too? 
Yeah, same thing. Okay. Yep, John Graham Golf. Yeah, yep. John Graham Golf. Can't thank you enough, man. You're uh I've learned a lot from you. I appreciate the time and um I'm excited for uh I'm excited for 2021 for the obvious reasons. We need to get out of this uh 2020 mess. Um yes. But golf's been good and um and you guys have been out there traveling. We appreciate it. And it's been fun to watch this year. What a year um, watching golf. And I'm excited for Justin Thomas in 2021 and uh, what's ahead for him on this putting front because, man, he uh, he gets it going. And Cameron Champ, that was another name you mentioned, right? Like, yep. I, I like watching that young play. The game is in such good shape with uh, – how did, how did Justin Thomas all of a sudden become kind of old? He's not old. <laughs> you got Colin, you got – you got Victor, you got Cam Champ. I mean, and all these young guys smash it. I mean, it's a, it's yeah. impressive to watch. Like nobody comes out hitting it like just dink a dink a dink a dink. They all they all come out hammering it pretty good. And uh, you know, I was talking to, to Charles the other day, and, and and we talk about this fairly often that a lot of the younger players are coming out. Now, obviously, they all hit it far, and that's just kind of like a given now. But they're coming out with much stronger short games. And he remembers coming out as a as a college player. Um, which is why I think they're making a much more immediate impact uh, now, like since maybe let's say like the Jordan Spieth class, like from that class forward, like some guys come out and they are immediately impactful where I think in the past it was, okay, you got to kind of pay your dues. You got to work into it. Yeah. Tiger's a big exception, of course, but you know, and figure out how to play tour golf. Uh, These kids have, uh, you know, they've been exposed to much better statistics and instruction and, preparation like for their whole lives uh golf has just really accelerated in terms of you know, more like tennis you know you can just come right out as a young person and really really be something special and i tell you i spent some time with four of the top collegiate players in scottsdale a couple of weeks ago austin eckrote was there and he played terrific in his first professional event as an amateur oh, yeah. and you yeah. get to see it like I, I i was talking with some people i was like this young man he'll hit the stage and go right away I guarantee it. I mean, I watched him hit it, his short game, his putting, just talking to him, like confident, not scared, not surprised at all. He just went out there and held his own um, in the top 15 in his first event because he's he's ready. I mean, he's like, he's played with Victor Hovland a ton. He's like, I already know I can beat him, right? right. And he just won the tournament for crying out loud. So it's, it's uh, you're, you're so right, man. They're just so polished and so good. And um yeah, JT and Speed. Better watch out. They'll be like forty. They'll be joining us here soon. You know. <laughs> <I'm thinking about laughs> it. Poor guys. 